This is EdTech Weekly. I'm your host, Ricky Zager, and oh my goodness, what a special show tonight. Matt has rejoined the show. Can I get some applause? Woo! Matt, are you happy to be back? I am. Ooh. And I'm ready to rumble. It sounded like a lot of enthusiasm, Matt. I like that. You're, you know, Meredith, I'm not saying that she did better than you because you both have bring your own strengths to the table. But she certainly had more energy right off the bat. I know you're going to pick it up, but I, I just, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm not feeling the energy. Hey, 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 man. Hey, hey, hey. That's not helping the cause. All right, Matt. Well, we've had a lot happen since your last show. We've had another caller, uh, someone who you know, Daphne, called into the show and asked a question. Uh, she wanted to know something about how to run some online meetings. And uh, we had someone post a story. I mean, we've had a lot of stuff going on. On our Reddit, someone posted a story. Um, do you feel like you've missed anything, or do you feel like you're going to be able to step right back in and contribute to the show? You know what? It's kind of like riding a bike. You never forget how it works. I've also been stalking on, on the Reddit, um, also known as uh, our show.reddit.com. I'm so out of it. Uh, EdTech Weekly. <laughs> <laughs> reddit.com this is this is not a good advertisement when the co-host struggles with the name of the show yeah <laughs> all right matt well it sounds like a really good time to get into our first story and this story is from make magazine and it calls for education to stop teaching programming matt and start teaching computational thought strong words it does explain in the article that computational thought is something that's more important than coding or coding languages. That seems kind of like a no duh. Um, it asserts that learning computational thought like conditional statements or iterative loops and functions are the base for all programming. Again, that seems to be pretty well known, but not only are they the foundation of programming, but they also assert graphic art, music, and even Minecraft building and those types of things would do well to have a better base for computational thinking. Um, essentially, it's just saying that picking a programming language you know, or starting to code maybe should not be the first step. And Matt, I know that this is sort of more your uh, foray, your, you know, what you're good at. So what are your thoughts about this article? Um, well, first off, the article was a bit clickbaity for me. Um, but you know, like I, I read, I read the article, and I just kind of go, "Why not both? Why not just assert that?" And of course, that's what the whole argue, argument is: is well, we should be doing more of both. Um, the cool, hip thing is all the programming stuff and all the great jobs you can get. Um, but the truth is, um, programming itself is always going to take precedent over and it's going to be the cool awesome thing because you don't watch van halen or listen to van halen and think oh man i'd really like to pick up a beginner guitar and then work on a progression chord you want to be eddie van halen and you want to thrash you want to rock your so, face off yeah right so you know and we have all of these different companies that are out there and all of these great programs that exist that want to teach you how to program want to teach you how to do that um i do agree that there needs to be more emphasis on some of the basics um, that will help you sort of, you know, become a better, well-rounded programmer instead of just learning one language. I run into a lot of people who, who understand Ruby on Rails, but really just kind of don't understand PHP. And I understand that that's not necessarily everyone, but you know, Ruby on Rails at one point was, you know, the in crowd, and that's where everybody was running to. So, uh, I, the article itself kind of just says how it should be. 
Um, yeah, I. So I mean, I agree with it. Yeah, I I think kind of for me, it's like instead of saying like you know, it's you don't learn to code first. Well, for a lot of people, you're not going to just start with like, ooh, let's take a course on computational thought. That's going to be fun. So learning to code and getting into what coding knew and how you can sort of manipulate things with code is a way to make people understand, hey, I want to do this and I'm going to need to understand how to have some computational thought and learn these iterative statements and, you know, if then else and everything else that comes along with it in order to make a program that I want. So it's kind of like a gateway to me to learn that type of stuff, computational thought. And then the other thing though, of course, as you and I both know, a lot of these stories have been just pushing coding, 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 um, code.org, learn to code, like all of these things, which is good because it definitely gets the information out there and it gets those people interested. But you know, it gets to a point of where at what point are we going too far towards just getting people to try out coding and we aren't really doing enough of the foundation. And where, where it bothers me more than anything else is when legislators and mayors and people say, we need to all have a coding class. And it's like, but that's not really how we're going to get the computer scientists to come out and, and deal with the shortages that they expect. Like there has to be something behind it rather than just taking one course. Like, yeah, it sounds great and it's a good step, but it certainly isn't the way to make it all happen, at least not in my point of view. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, when you look at, at you know, I remember the article that we had done uh, some time ago where it was talking about um, drones. Uh, the drone, that one group that had developed, and they also had some educational packets that went with it. Um, you can look at it from one aspect of putting it into a business class. How can you build a business around this? And you know, how could you put it into a science class and you know, build to deliver things in different ways? Um, that's that's how I see education should be working more often than not. I mean, you can look at programming and say, "Oh man, we need a coding course." And well, by gosh, we we just hit our quota um, of creating that. But unless you start working that into, you know, talking about it in English class by, you know, having sci-fi books read or going into a business class and talking about what you can do with this newfound knowledge that you've gained in coding and how you could develop an app and, you know, what's the appropriate ways to come to market with something like that, you're really never going to hit home and you're never really going to teach anybody how to actually do anything with it. You're just going to kind of say, oh, now, you know this now. Yeah. And like when, when Cobalt was a, was a programming language forever ago, you know, there's a lot of people that learned it. My dad learned Cobalt. And if you watch my dad type on a computer, it's it's mind-numbingly painful <laughs> because he's, like, pecking at the keys. Yeah. And you're just like, ah, okay, you were a coder once. That's a great word. Yeah, you know, I feel like – I know you didn't listen to last week's show. I, I know you didn't, but I, I just because you don't listen to my show, and I don't understand why. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> that later. Um, it, basically, what I was talking about, a very similar thing, like – we don't we talk about what would be good and we but we don't do anything of substance that makes it happen we just sort of and, and there's something that we talk about um in, in our last story today that kind of goes into that a little bit too but essentially what we do with coding and what we do with these other things is we say we don't have that connection with other subjects like you're talking about like this is a systemic issue in education we in some schools, obviously, in some classes, people are doing this right, and, and they should be applauded, and they should let people know how they're doing it. But in a lot of schools, this 
cross-discipline sort of teaching of a similar theme like computer science and like you talked about read a science fiction book in English class and in math class you know learn to code a little bit here and in science learn I mean those are all things that could be integrated but because of the system that's in place a lot of times with standardized testing that just can't happen well Matt let's get to our next story and this is from Southern Utah University beautiful Utah beautiful we learned that they're launching a music technology master's degree um, it's very interesting in light of the previous article we just talked about, of course, with computational thinking, and I would assume that that would play a huge part in this type of a degree path. Uh, the degree is the first of its kind in Utah. Uh, it's not the first in the country. There's other schools like NYU and Georgia Tech and others that have these type of programs. But I think just the fact that you're getting a state that hasn't had it before and they do, it just kind of shows that concept that the music industry, music industry as a whole, has sort of been slow to adapt to technology. We've talked on a personal level, I'm not sure on the show before, about how the music industry really blew it when it came from going from CDs to online music and how much they lost in terms of ground with you know things like Napster and giving free music where people just didn't have an option to get legitimate paid-for music online. So it seems like they're sort of always behind. But anyway, I think this might be sort of a way that that sort of shows itself in the music industry in general. But, you know, this program's got a track that includes performance and studio technology. It's a 30 credit hour program. Uh, does it surprise you at all, Matt, that this is the first program in Utah or is anything about this surprise you? Uh, no, I, I really like it. I mean, I actually, you mentioned that we had this conversation previously and I just ran through it all in my head and that was a really good conversation we had. Oh, it's too bad we didn't have that uh, being recorded for the people yeah. to hear. They would have loved yeah, it. Yeah, it was probably while we were playing Xbox Live, so it probably wasn't going to be that great anyway. There might have been some, uh, you know, yelling of during the FIFA's. seeing code and scoring goals. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm in the Matrix now. Um, no, I, I, I really love programs like this. I think that um, it's it's a great innovative way to look at a, in some ways, struggling um, uh, and very volatile um uh, you know, industry such as uh, music and trying to find a new way to get people more interested in learning all aspects of it. I, as a master's program, it steam, seems a little bit too vocational. Um, of course, without looking at what any of the courses were or anything like that, you know, maybe I'm just being a bit too harsh. Um, but as you said, I mean, and as we've talked about previously, the music industry has not been very good at looking at trends and finding a way um, into them. You know, they've been very standoffish when it comes to a lot of things. And if you also look at a lot of the big recording houses, you know, these are people that have been doing it since day one. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what it does. Uh, you know, you mentioned NYU and uh, Georgia Tech, uh, both great schools that have this program. NYU is pretty well known for uh, – you know, audio arts and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see how they're able to play this into a strength of theirs and get more students involved. Yeah. And I mean, I think they're, this is also sort of a supply and demand thing, right? I mean, the more, the more uh, students that we churn out that are using all of this really robust audio creation software, I mean, even the simple, um, you know, Mac program GarageBand now is really allowing some pretty cool stuff to happen and creativity and digital music and everything. I, I just think this is more of a 
people are just naturally being more interested in creating music and working with digital aspects of music now. And there just needs to be more offered for them to do that. So, but it is interesting to think about where this might go in the future. All right, Matt, our final story, Ed Surge explains how to make ed tech buzzwords more substantive. Now, I'm not sure that they do, but let's talk about this for a minute. First of all, I think all of us who work within ed tech realize just how easy it is to get caught up in a buzzword. Um, whether it's a term that's, you know, we've been drilled into our brains at an ed tech conference or through, you know, it goes into Twitter chats or something we saw in an article. It's easy to start believing that, oh my goodness, how have we not been doing this one thing or this one term or one phrase and it's going to save our system, you know? And even if not our system, at least our classroom, you know, we, we're all gung-ho and we're fired up about it. And that's real. It's not like it's fake. It's, it, it's a real feeling. But somehow you get back into the grind. And then nothing really happens. And this, you, you tell people a few people about the word, but nothing ever really comes to fruition from it. And I, I'm sure this is a familiar concept, even to those who are you know, the best and the brightest in ed tech, which, Matt, I am certainly not the best and the brightest. Um, these people are excited about it. They want it to happen. But how do you make it happen? And so this article tries to give some tips. And it is, it is interesting. It talks about... You know, you need to take time to think about the issue that actually made this buzzword possible. Like why, what's happening in schools that made this word or this phrase or this program type thing become pop popular and become such a buzzword. And then how do you come up with a working solution to solve that problem? And almost, it seems like when I was looking at the article, the buzzword becomes like something that only spurs you to get into this other stuff that it, you don't really even bring that with you. You just focus on the problem and try to find a solution. So I find it interesting, but I'm wondering at this point, does this just become its own buzzword? Do people read this article and go, yeah, that's right. We got to do that. And then before you know it, you're back into the same sort of, you know, pigeonhole or whatever you want to say again, where you just can't get yourself out and onto what you need to be doing to actually promote real change. Any thoughts, Matt? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, this reminds me exactly when I try to explain cloud hosting. Like it really, I mean, it's a buzzword that means so many different things to so many different people and people get caught up in their own abstract idea about what that buzzword actually means instead of an implementation. Um, I sort of wrote in my notes, it's too much buzzing in my words. <laughs> we don't want that um, much buzzing in our words. Come on, people. But I think it, it really helps and helps to break down the perspective of linguistics um, when Ooh, dealing with an organization, a, what it means to you as a buzzword doesn't necessarily translate what it's going to mean to other people or, you know, the historical perspective that someone has for that word. So if you said cloud hosting to me, I would definitely have a different idea of what it was versus you. If I said cloud then, hosting to be you, you would be like, what are you talking about? Don't talk to me about cloud hosting. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. Uh, it's not appropriate I'm for you to say those getting, words. Yes. No. Um, but, you know, I think it's a really, really good thing to sit down and sort of I, – I liked the article, but I absolutely 100% understand your perspective that the article in itself becomes a buzzword, which then is sort of a system that you would go through. So you're like, hey, I th I'm really excited about this. I better check myself and then go through all these steps to make sure and that itself becomes the new process. So Yeah, I mean I feel like when you – I mean, hopefully this is more for ed tech administrators or ed tech coaches if you have those in your district, which there are very few of those that I know of, unfortunately. Um, 
this really on a teacher level becomes super difficult because of all the other things that you're doing and expected to do. And it, and they really, it really sort of plays on the emotions of a teacher, right? We all want what's best for our students and we all want to use that magic bullet, so to speak, and, and be able to use something that's going to reach all of our students. I mean, there's not one teacher who really wants to be a teacher that doesn't feel that way. And so you do get caught up. I've been to some conferences, um, where I do, I get like super excited about this thing. And to be honest with you, three years ago, I was at a conference and I can't even tell you right now what it was that I was so excited about. But I remember being so excited about trying to use this next thing, whatever it was going to be. So I, I think there has to be just like anything with ed tech, right? There has to be a good structure and foundation of who's creating these policies that are is going to put these type of buzzwords or these things into action. How is training being done? It's the same thing we've talked about numerous times. There is no ed tech solution that's going to cure everything. There is no buzzword that's going to change everything on its own. There has to be a a large community working together to make that happen. And one of the things that I did like about this article, and I think we need to do more of, is sharing our experiences. So if you had a successful or an unsuccessful integration or attempt at making a buzzword, you know, turn into something real, you need to be, you know, blogging about it or sharing that with other schools in your district so that we can slowly start learning and building on this. And there's really, you know, just like we talked about before, each solution could be different in each school or each district. That's why EdTech is so frustrating in some ways, because it's not going to just work in one school because it worked in another because the demographics are different. Does, you know, all the different things that go into it are going to change that. So the more you share this information, the more other schools like you can look at it and kind of say, Hey, we can do this. Here's one of the things that didn't work. Let's see if we can do it this other way. Um, I think we're in desperate need of some, uh, of a platform that does that. And I, I'm not sure it's there yet. If it is, and you know about it, please uh, contact the show and let us know edtechweekly at gmail.com. And we'll share that with people. But I think there's a lot that needs to happen on the foundation of ed tech before we can really make real improvements that actually help the students. And I mean, after all, that should be the final, you know, outcome that we're looking for. Um, can I ask you a quick question? You may. Yes, of course. So, would you say that from you going to conferences many, many years ago that your perspective has changed? I didn't say like many, many years ago. I said three years ago. Okay, I'm not that old. Let's calm down with the many, many That's years That's many, ago. many years in tech education. Decades ago when you were just a old man, whatever, continue. <laughs> Do you find yourself walking out of these things and then saying, now, I, I don't want to say less excited, but maybe more apprehensive about what that piece of tech education or education or technology actually means now i mean do you leave let's even say like a pitch meeting or something like that and someone's like oh i've got this innovative thing that's going to help revolutionize the classroom and you're not like oh man i need to do that tomorrow but now you're like well how am i going to support that how am i going to do that and do you think the industry as a whole and maybe today's people who are going out to these conferences are looking at it from a much more skeptical place and that's what businesses need to be focusing on when they're trying to gain marketplace. Well, that's a lot. Of, that's a many. You should have said my question in 20 parts. Yes. But here, I'll try to do. I think I can answer the question for you. So it really depends a lot on where you're where you're coming from. Right. So if you're a teacher um, and you're interested in educational technology, the way I feel now, this again, this I can't tell you what they think, but it feels a lot like um, sort of 
cheer, cheering, cheerleading, like everyone gets excited about it at the conferences, right? And it doesn't really necessarily mean that they know how they're going to make it happen, but it just, it's exciting because people say they give you suggestions of what you could do and you're like, oh yeah, I could do that. That sounds great. But do you have the ability to actually do it? And this is where, you know, ed tech coaches or some sort of training comes into play where if people don't have that support, it just, it goes away. It's like even in training within the district, like when I worked in the school district, you could give a great training and people could be very excited about it. But if you don't do support and follow up, it's going to, it's going to go away. Like, so that's kind of how I feel like from a teacher perspective. Now, as a, you know, ed tech coordinator and somebody who's, who's looked at it from that perspective, what I do when I hear this stuff, I do get excited. And then I think about what I could do to make it happen. But depending on where you are and where you work, you may not have the ability to do that. Um, I was in a position before where I didn't get that opportunity. People would not allow me to try new things that I had heard of and learned and wanted to use. Currently, I'm in a position where that is very cool to do. So I have a different perspective now. I kind of think of how can I make this happen? And then I pitch it to my boss and then try to make it happen. So it, it really depends on your role. But I don't think people are, I don't think people are jaded by the ideas yet. Like, I think those ideas are still exciting. And if you are, it's not systemic of ed tech in general. I just think maybe you've just gotten frustrated with it personally. It may trend that way. It may very well. And I, I don't know. But I think if we don't get better follow-up and better training, that's where every idea is going to go. Because you can't just say, solve the problem by doing this and without explaining to people how to do that. Like it's easy to say, hey, if you use response card technology in your classroom, your students are gonna be more engaged. Well, that's great, let's do it. Now, how do you know where to go to do that? Do you know how to connect the software? Do you know how to set up your classroom? I mean, all those things are roadblocks for a lot of teachers and that's why, again, I'll get off my soapbox here, but we need more ed tech coaches because teachers just simply don't have time to learn how to do all that stuff. That's not their job. Their job is to teach students. So you need to have people to support them in that way. So I, I don't know if I answered your question, Matt. I tried. No, you did, okay. but I have one follow-up. Oh, geez. Okay. Um, <laughs> as far as I get scared. coaches are concerned, do you think that the responsibility or the expectation should rely more on the company creating the product or do school districts just need to find more jack-of-all-trades that understands and can, you know, well, here's, you know, digest all of this information better. The problem really is budgetary concerns, right? Like it's difficult for people to just say it, it needs to be a priority shift if you're going to get ed tech coaches within the school system. Like in some some districts do that, some schools do that. But as a whole, from my experience, I have not seen that as a priority. So you're absolutely right about the companies who are doing this ed tech and they're you need to hold them to this ongoing training. Okay, they're trying to sell you something. So the people who are in the room buying these things too often, in my experience, again, maybe limited, maybe not, maybe some of you, it will resonate with you too often are not looking at the big picture of how they're going to, they think, oh, we'll, we'll train them. We'll figure this out, but they don't have the, they don't have enough people to do it. I was in a, a department where we had like three people for a huge school district to do that. There's just no way to support even one program with three people in a huge district. So 
I think just there needs to be more realization on a high level of people who are making the decisions to buy these things and to subscribe to these things to understand that you need to put the onus onto the ed tech company if you don't have the people to do it in your own district. It has to be because you want us to buy your product. We're going to need this. Otherwise, we can't do it. You know what I mean? As, as cool as it sounds, as great as your pitch was, if you don't give us the support we need, and also manage and run that into a, in a lot to a certain extent that I think that's what needs to happen. Again, this is something that's in my my dream world. Now, can it happen in those? I'm sure if you get somebody who's making those decisions, they could do a good job of kind of making that happen. But I've seen way too many in my short time as a ed tech coordinator at a district level. Too many times it's just not negotiated in. Because they don't want to pay the money or whatever the or or maybe they didn't even ask to be honest with you. So that has to be a priority. So people who are making those decisions see what you can get. Like just see, like they want you to buy their product, especially with the subscription model that so many companies have now. For you know, oh, you it's a yearly fee that you pay, and we do this and that. Hey, if you want our business and you want this recurring income revenue stream model that everyone seems to want, we need more support. Because otherwise we can't make this happen. So I don't know. Did I answer that question? Yeah, it does, and it's very, very similar to regular business world. There's a lot of, especially coming from the franchise world, um, you have a lot of people who get who get into that industry and end up sort of getting um, blinded by the light and all the glitz and glamour of all the things that could happen and they never really have a follow-up strategy for any of that stuff so yeah. not to divulge in or diverge into franchising but well but it sounds i mean i think what what we're saying here is this is a similar common experience and so mm-hmm. if that's the case then you got you've got to be the voice at your institution at your district at your company who's pushing for this and and again maybe it goes unheard but at some point, it's going to have to be heard because with the way technology is just sweeping in, it, we're going to, people are just going to get left. It's going to get worse instead of better for students because if you're throwing all this in there and you're supposed to be using it, you don't know how, it's not going to help the students. I mean, so at some point, there is a breaking point, in my opinion. We're going to go the other way, and ed tech is going to start hurting, not just keeping the same and certainly not helping if we don't do a better job of that. All right, Matt. Well, we've gone on for a while now. As always, when you come on the show, we have these heated discussions and we end up going longer than we probably should, but we hope you guys got a little something out of it. We have a lot of other ways for you to interact with the show. Uh, wherever you are, come interact with us if, you, if you'd like. We have a Facebook page. It's EdTech Weekly. Just come like the page, post some stuff on there. Check out edtechweeklyshow.com. That's our website. We put the show notes up there and the links to the different articles. Visit edtechweekly.reddit.com. Matt EdTechWeekly. That's the show name. .reddit.com. Um, there's about 31 people watching, or I don't know, Matt. I don't know how it works there, but it looks like we've got, you know, about 30 people who frequently check in there, or at least check in some. So that's kind of cool. And then I'm not even gonna let you answer to that. I'm just gonna move on. <laughs> I heard I heard you start. Nope, we're not doing it. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Four Tech Teachers, the number four T E C H Teachers, and then uh, email us edtechweekly at gmail dot com. Uh, email us stories. Uh, you could leave us a voicemail if you want three zero five nine two Tech Two, Matt's favorite phone number. Um, that actually rings straight to his house, so he'll be there ready for your call. Um, 
Again, interact with the show any way that you want. We actually had, Matt, I don't know if I told you this or not, but we had our first review on iTunes. Yes, you texted me. I was so excited. I, I'm sure I had to have texted uh, you. Hang on, hang on. I'm sorry. You're leaving out one key important part. Uh-oh. Five-star review. Uh, thank you. A, yeah, it wasn't just a review. It was a five-star review. So I actually tweeted him and said, thank you. Um, I don't have the username up at the moment. Matt, do you think I should search for this and find it and give him a little shout-out? Um, it won't take long, I wouldn't yeah, think. Yeah, it's Twitter. I don't it's the Twitter. How many people are you tweeting at? It's not the Twitter. It's the EdTech Weekly review. And let's see. Here we go. It is uh, D-M-A-M-O-N-E. I don't know. But anyway, five star. Let's read this, Matt. Love the podcast. It's a great listen for anyone into EdTech. Topics are relevant and interesting. What? Interesting. I'm a special educator, and I absolutely love the episodes on accessibility. Well, we love those, too. That was Carla uh, Carla Kometz. She's awesome. Um, you guys do a fantastic job of providing great content in an informal and fun way. Matt, I think it's important to say at this point, simply because we have a lot of um, friends of the show who call in, like Meredith and Daphne, who we know outside before we started doing EdTech Weekly. This David person, Matt, we don't know this person. This is not a friend. Will... Well, he's a friend now. Well, he is a friend. I, of... You can't say he's not a friend. That's, that's crazy talk. Clearly a friend of the show. Down. Yeah, he's a friend of the show now. But Matt, I mean, to me, a five star from somebody we don't know. I mean, you've been telling me all along that nobody listens to the show because you don't listen to it. And you're wrong, Matt. People do. Well, it's not like I saw that you're going on Fiverr paying people to write reviews. Yeah. Oh, can I do that? You could do anything on Fiverr. Listen, I haven't even solicited my friends for reviews, which I probably should do because I think that good reviews helps you rank a little bit higher, but we'll get there in good time. All right, Matt, you're back, and the people want what the people want, and what the people want, Matt, is your words of wisdom. What do you have for them? My words of wisdom this week are you know that you've made it in life when you're doing your podcast in your garage. And you have your laptop sitting on a box. <laughs> Matt, I I also would like to say, because I forgot to mention it earlier, we are almost a year old. EdTech Weekly is coming up on a year. Next week will be our one-year anniversary. Nice. Are we going to do a clip show? I, I think we should. I think we owe it you to the You should do people. a clip show of all my ums. I think we owe it to the people, Matt. And That's so like I'm going to spend... Hours. I'm going to spend this weekend really getting into the nitty-gritty of the shows and pulling some sort of best-of compilations out. I mean, the good part is for best guest, I, we only have one. So she's going to walk away with that. Carla's going to walk away with it. But I think we'll do the... You're going to have to have best guest host. Uh, we've only had one guest host. You're the, know. You're well, the official to, host. What I'm, no, what I'm saying is like we have to give something to Meredith. She picked up my slack when I decided to stop being hip and or jiggy with it. Well, and also on that front, Matt, she may join us. We may have three hosts at some point. You never know. This show's going to get a little crazy. We might do some silly stuff like that. I'm excited. As am I. She's probably going to yell at me, but that's cool. That's that's what I'm hoping for. And then not give me notes. That's what I'm hoping for. Shots fired, Meredith. Shots fired. I'm hoping for a lot of anger back and forth with each other. It's, it's what the show needs. It's what the show needs, and what it's what the people want. So we're going to give it to them. All right, Matt. We appreciate you being you can, here. You can, you can be... You can be an iPhone, I'll be an Android, and she can be a BlackBerry. Oh, she would. She totally would be that. You're right. That's solely her. All right, Matt. Next week, will you be here to join us for our year show? I'm going to see if we can get Meredith into. We have to do it for the year show, correct? 
Yes. All right. Well, let's do it then, Matt. I don't know why you're saying. I don't know why you're hesitant. We got to do it. I wasn't hesitant. I was just chucking out fiber to find out who you paid. Whatever. I think the people are ready for the show to be over, and so am I. We'll see you next week on EdTech Weekly. Bye, people. Or person. It's more than one. David. <laughs> David.